to the Central Bank of Rwanda podcast, uh, also known as BNR. Now, if you want to be part of any of these conversations, you can check out the Central Bank Twitter handle. That's at Central Bank RW. And today's conversation is about the monetary policy. Now, our guest today is the chief economist. And during the hot seat, it's been tough, for mm. lack of a better word, over the past two years economically for Rwanda. Before we start to run, if we were to crawl, last year at the same time, Rwanda had a rise of the central bank rate for the first time in a long period of time. Mm. Looking 12 months later, it's a 250 basis points rise going by the decision that has been made recently. How would you assess that situation? Thank you. First, I want to say hi to whoever is listening to us. It's good with a podcast. You can listen at any time during the day. So um, answering your question, Arnold, I think you're right. It's, it's like cumulatively 250 basis points. We are back to a level of the central bank rate of 7%, which was uh, similar to the level we had, uh, I think, seven, eight or nine years ago. So you were asking what has changed. How can we assess this situation? I think this shows not only this, but what the other central banks also have been doing throughout this period. Everywhere you would see even those who started increasing before us in advanced economies, even in Africa. For all these countries, it's an unprecedented increase in the central bank rate or monetary policy tightening. Unprecedented also because we are facing an unprecedented increase in inflation worldwide. So the answer of the central banks are answering to uh, a problem or uh, a rise in inflation that was almost never seen before. So. Last year, in February 2022, the National Bank of Rwanda decided to increase the central bank rate by 50 basis points. At that time, it was before the war in Ukraine, before the war, I think, started end of February, and the decision was communicated mid-February. So no one was anticipated that there would be a war and that it should be uh, still there one year after. Right? And the impact that this war would have on the world economy and on the prices in general was not anticipated by anyone. But still, during this period, the central bank, we were anticipating an increase in inflation. Not to the same magnitude, but an increase in inflation coming from mismatch between demand and supply after COVID-19, or let's say when COVID-19 restrictions were lifted. So it was anticipated that inflation would go up. That's why we had started to increase the central bank rate. But then the war came, the impact of the war was felt, and it was necessary to do more, like all other central banks to try to curb inflation. So that is why we had this unprecedented also increase in the CBR instead. Chief Economist, uh, I want us to take a few steps back and go back to a, a time, I believe, last July, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. when there was that about 100 basis points increment and uh, the inflation rate then stood at about 15%. Mm -hmm. That 100 basis rates all put together could be the largest at one time increments by the central bank of Rwanda and it was in reaction to the inflation. Mm. Now, to many people, with that, the central bank was tightening the monetary policy, but they expected that to reflect mm. on the prices of goods, beans, uh, oil, cooking oil and the likes. That did seem to happen. Mm. What is the major cause for the rise in everyday goods for the average consumer? Thank you. I think your question will help me also uh, explain uh, this decision. So we were talking about the February one. Now you're talking about the uh, August 2020, which was a uh, 100 basis point increase. So at that time, we we're actually feeling 
let's say, most of the impact of, of this war. Through fuel prices going up, even for governments with subsidies, uh, limited this impact here in Rwanda. But we had also fertilizers prices going up, gas prices going up, imported food commodities going up, sugar, cooking oil, all these things. So in August, the reason why it was even that high was that we're actually anticipating higher inflation in the coming months. And we're trying to limit this, especially what we call the second round effects. So meaning that we cannot reduce international fuel prices, but the impact that fuel prices in Rwanda would have on transport that would go to a producer's cost that would at, at the end go to the final price on the market is what we call the indirect effect or second round effect. And this and the speed at which it is transmitted to the rest of the prices is what we were actually trying to influence through monetary policy by actually trying to affect the aggregate demand. That's what happened in August. We are not trying because we know Rwanda, the small open economy, does not have any influence on international prices. So international prices going up was a fact. Now, how to limit the transmission of these high prices through the domestic economy? This is what we are focused on. Then the second thing for which monetary policy is not good at is fresh product prices, foods. Here in Rwanda, we have, of course, imported food, but most of the food we consume is actually produced locally. So when we don't have a good agriculture season, then the supply is not matching the high demand that's there with population growing and etc. So then prices go up. This shock, by the way, it's a weather or let's say climate change related shock that has affected agriculture production last year. This shock is also something that monetary policy does not affect directly. Again, here, whatever the shock, this domestic coming from the weather or international coming from the war, they happened at the same time in 2022. This is why inflation was so high. And the central bank's decision to raise the central bank rate was to actually affect the second round effect of these shocks. So you will not see price of beans, as you said, coming down because of the decision of the central bank. You will see price of beans coming down when you have a good agriculture season. So the next season, if it's good, that's uh, meaning there's enough beans on the markets. And that's when prices come down. And that's where it's a little bit confusing mm. for the layperson, because one, we believe the role of the MPC mm. is primarily to curb inflation or sure. to help curb inflation. Yes. And beans food inflation is the largest cause for inflation in Rwanda in particular. Mm. So what gives? Mm -hmm. It's actually a very good question. Beans is... Um, in terms of weight, one of the food items that have the highest weight in the CPI and in consumption of Rwandans. So when it's affected, it's affecting prices. But because of the volatility, so if price of beans increased by a lot, multiplied by its weight, it's affecting the rest. But we have also plenty of other things in the basket. Right? So when you look at what causes inflation, we can try to understand what will, what will make inflation go down. And what will make inflation go down is not in a developing country or in Rwanda, only monetary policy. But what the central bank has within its mandate and the tools that the central bank have access to is monetary policy. So this means that the central bank has to do its part through monetary policy, but work also with other institutions. This is also what we are doing to actually put in place other policies for prices or inflation to go down. If you look at price as the result of supply and demand, what the central bank is doing is demand, trying to affect demand. But that will not boost supply. So to boost supply, you need to actually do everything possible so that there's no supply bottleneck, there's no supply chain issues. 
and there's actually production coming out, which depends on other factors. It's not easy. It is a very complex issue. But all the government institutions that are actually following up are doing everything they can to ensure that the supply bottlenecks are removed and to actually limit the impact of other shocks. So that's why I was talking about agriculture production. In line with agriculture production increasing, is increasing supply. Now, the last part of policies that also on the side of government is, despite while we are adjusting the supply and the demand, inflation is happening. When inflation is happening, it's affecting the consumers, it's affecting people. And the most vulnerable people are the ones that are the most affected. So that's what the government is now trying to do, is how to support the people in, in the meantime, right? Waiting for these supply and demand to be adjusted worldwide, by the way, and also in Rwanda. So by doing that, that means social protection. You've seen the revised budget. There's been some effort to scale up social protection to the most vulnerable people through the existing programs. The subsidies in place for public transport. Do you know that the price of the ticket of bus is the same since pre-COVID? It has not changed. This is because government is actually putting out a lot of money to make it the same. You can imagine that with the fuel price that have increased, normally it should have increased. Um, the other thing I can say, you know, there are plenty of other things. The, the subsidy on fuel, that has helped during at least a few months. Subsidy, because we are not alone in the region. Sure. Kenya went a similar direction mm-hmm. with subsidies, and then they had to do away with them. Mm-hmm. So the sustainability of subsidies. From your personal opinion, and I want you to maybe tap into your old hat mm-hmm. on the fiscal side of things, how sustainable is subsidizing especially for an economy like Rwanda, on fuel prices? Subsidy is um, costly. And that's why it's not something that you can keep on for years and years. It's a decision by a government to say, I'm going to subsidize, it's going to cost me money, but I'm going to subsidize this sector, especially when we talk about a shock like this, temporarily, because I know the impact it has on the economy in general and on people. So, you know, transport is very sensitive. If, for example, fuel prices, if fuel inflation is fully reflected, then you have a transmission directly through transport, through most of the goods that we go on the market. So it's to avoid this that the government took this decision. That does not mean that subsidies are there forever. Actually, the approach of the government is to look at prices every two months, international prices, fuel, for example, and see... If fuel prices are coming down and expected to come down, they can take a decision to reduce this subsidy. When prices were increasing very fast, they've increased it. They could take the decision to reduce it. So that's actually the approach. And I think it's a good one because it's looking at things the moment it is happening. So every two months, they actually meet and they discuss what to do with this subsidy. Eventually, at some point, it will go. We know. Kenya, perhaps, is because of the amount they had to pay on the budget that they had to forego the subsidy. Most of the, all the countries will forego the subsidy at some point. But the ideas of these subsidies is to cushion the shock, really. Let's not have an increase of 100% of fuel from today to tomorrow. That's, that's the idea. How can we, you know, cushion these impacts? So overall, subsidies, I would say, in general, are costly. That's why you have to first choose the ones you are subsidizing. You can't subsidize everything. Second, when you choose the ones you are subsidizing, you target them. So in the case of um, fertilizers, it was targeting targeted to fertilizers that go to farmers. So that's clear, so that you limit the costs. And then you choose at the end when you have to remove them. So it's the three parameters that you have to take into account. You're a young person. I'm speaking from my peers here and most uh, younger. When you think about raising central bank basis, the CBR, you think impact is going to be immediate. 
Mm. And being that this over the past 12 months, it has been done almost on a quarterly basis. But the impact of that to them is, okay, why am I still going to the supermarket and the apples or chewing gum I'm buying, that price is only doubling, right? So how long does a decision that has been carried out over a period of 12 months actually have an impact on the economy? Oh, is that impact there? Mm. And you don't notice it for one reason or the other. Mm -hmm. Your question is related to what we call monetary policy transmission. So that means from the decision all the way to the economy and inflation. Depending on the country, it's more or less direct, more or less fast. To actually explain it better, countries that have advanced financial system, of which everyone is one way or another connected to the financial sector, having a bank account, having a deposit, having saving, having a, I mean a, a loan at the bank. Let's say the example of the US, the monetary policy is very fast. For African countries where we are still at the level of development of our financial sector, even if in East Africa and Rwanda there's been a lot of uh, progress the past uh, five, ten years, we are still at a level where not everyone is necessarily connected to the financial system. And at the same time, the economy is not 100% formal. So these are barriers to the transmission. This is why in the region, not only in Rwanda, in the region, um, we are actually improving on the transmission, but it is still what we call a weak transmission. A weak transmission that takes more time. So if a decision is taken, according to our research, it takes up to one year for it to be reflected to the economy. That means that now in February 2023, we are starting to feel the impact of the first decision we talked about last year in February 2022. Of course, this cumulative impacts uh, is also something we think when we take a decision. Say we have already taken a decision to increase the past uh, MPC. So if you put all that together, these 250 basis points are going to be felt this year, according to the way we are seeing things. And take that into account, the impact of this decision. Take the impact of the other policies I was talking about into account. Take an assumption, because when you do projection, you have to make an assumption that throughout the year we'll see better production of agriculture, especially in the second half of the year. And you have our forecast that says with all these conditions, including taking into account the impact of the policies, inflation will come down to less than 8% at end 2023. This is where it comes from. So when we make projections, it comes from the assumptions we are making, plus the fact that we are taking into account the impact of policies, including monetary policy, that can be slow. In I want us to look ahead to some form of silver lining, as we call this on other spaces, uh, light at the end of the tunnel, in regards to one, inflation numbers, uh, but just recently the National Institute of Statistics also shared GDP numbers. Uh, where will Rwanda stand at the end of 2023 in regards to the economic growth? We have to understand the context where 2023 is not a good year globally. The global growth has been revised down. Some economies will see a recession, but for one, it won't be the case. What I'm trying to say here is that even if we achieve the projections that we had in November of 6.2% for 2023, that would be already exceptional, looking at the global context. If we do more than that, it's even more exceptional, right? How bad can it get? We have no reason to believe that growth will be bad in 2023. There's no reason to believe that. We know the issue of inflation, but there's no reason as of now to believe that they will, will have a bad growth. The reason is the drivers of growth that we've seen in 2022 are still there. 
tourism-related services, trade services, transport services, especially air transport. She go to the airport, Rwanda is working almost like before COVID. You see the number of people coming in for meetings, etc. That's there. Because we actually have also data on turnovers of companies. Uh, turnovers are good, especially in the services sector. Industry, there are big projects on, under construction now. So we have a pipeline of projects and think that this will be there. The ongoing programs that are there, manufacturing and build to recover and so on, that are trying to boost these, these activities. Manufacturing sector, they are producing. Even for uh, some of the challenges regarding uh, inputs, they are still actually producing. So there's no reason to believe that um, growth can be lower because we had a very high growth in 2022. We're projecting 6.8. and the first three quarters, we have 8.5. That's really high. Even higher growth in 2021, close to 11% after the recession of 2020 due to COVID. So we are saying there's a strong and sustained economic recovery from COVID. This is happening and it's going to continue 2023. Now, for this, and that's the focus, uh, even when we talk about uh, short-term issues like inflation, is because we have to deal with inflation so that we have a sustained growth in the medium term too. So by focusing on inflation and curbing inflation down this year, we are putting all the chances on our side for 2024-2025 growth to continue in this same direction. So I would say at the end of the day that at the end of 2023, we are projecting to curb down inflation. It's been too high in 2022. And that growth continues in the same trend from 2020, even for it decelerating a bit. In the context of a world economy, that's even going down further, even regionally. Chief Kulumis, I believe your job requires you to do some reading. And yes. um, in your free time, what are you reading right now? Uh, it's been a while now. I think I'm more, I'm more reading research papers nowadays than... Who's research than paper? Actual, ...than actual books. So we are actually reviewing um, this research I was talking about, monetary policy transmission. So we are, we are doing some papers. Uh, by the way, we have a journal, BNI Economic Review, that's available online for any researcher, student who wants to see for free, access it online. So there are, there are a few publications that were done here by our own researchers, uh, and we are building on that and also others to try to update this research and bring some new research on how is monetary policy transmission in Rwanda. I've seen your basketball that. games. Yeah. Any liking for any of the local teams? I'm a fan of Patriots, but uh, I think they're losing too many play players every year, so I don't know what should happen this year. Oh, well, they didn't have a bad game uh, recently. Uh, yeah. uh, I think they won that game uh, against uh, a very strong APR side. Okay, outside basketball, what's the last book you read? The last book I read was a couple of months ago, Think and Go Rich by Napoleon Hill. Lots of lessons in there. You know this, right? Yeah, I've read yeah. that one. Yeah, you look at your history before you go to your future. Yeah. And it predicted a few of the economic recessions that yeah. later happened globally. Indeed. Thank you for making the time. Thank you very much.